The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger Football Beat Writer at the Commercial Appeal. Uh, We are coming to you on the Wednesday after Memphis suffered its 30-29 overtime loss to ECU at the Liberty Bowl, Tigers dropped to five and five, uh, heading into their final two games of the regular season, needing one to get bowl eligible. Memphis at Houston Friday night uh, at eight, an eight o'clock kick. Um, we got a lot to get to in this podcast. We are going to break down the ECU game, starting with that. I don't know. Yeah, probably controversial is probably the right word. Uh, debatable. Um, two-point conversion decision by Ryan Silverfield in overtime. We'll get into what all of this means for the program for Ryan Silverfield as uh, we are looking at, you know, at best a 7-5 and five season. You know, what looks like on paper in terms of what Vegas thinks, a 6-6 six and six season, but also a season that, you know, has been rocky enough to make you consider the possibility that, it's five and seven, um, and you know you don't get ball eligible. So we'll we'll break it all down. What what this all means? Uh, we'll get big picture with you, and then we will look ahead to this game at Houston. That could, you know, after you know, fully ca- given Memphis beat SMU a week ago. You know, you never know. Um, and so uh, we will uh, get into the Houston game. Tell you what to expect in that one, but. Evan, let's start by looking back at this ECU loss. Um, Dramatic. um, A game where Memphis didn't play very well, but managed to keep itself within striking distance and got the game to overtime. And then in overtime, Ryan Silverfield, with the uh, knowledge that that his kicking game is not very good, elected to go for a two-point conversion to win the game after initially sending out his field goal unit. Then ECU tries to ice the kicker, and Ryan then goes for two. It ultimately does not work. Uh, Seth Hennigan's pass falls incomplete. Memphis loses. So, Evan, you've had several days to reflect on it. In the moment and now, what did you think about the decision to go for two by Ryan Silverfield? I thought it was aggressive. I thought it fit in with what happened against SMU, that they wanted to be aggressive. But I also thought it was questionable, not so much for going for the win, but as I asked him post-game, you trusted your kicker to make a more high-pressure kick for the field goal to send the game to OT, but now you don't trust your kicker to make a PAT when clearly he's probably feeling a little bit better after that that kick to force overtime. I I didn't understand that situation. I also didn't understand the call. I think you wrote it really well in your column. You roll Seth Hennigan right, which basically cut off the half the field, and 
I think he said his first look was to Dykes, his second look was to Austin. But to me, it didn't feel like the right play call because ECU was ready for it. Um, if it worked, we probably would be praising saying Ryan was aggressive. But I think ultimately the decision was the case of, as Ryan told us, he kind of overthought it because he had flashbacks to the missed PAT, which goes back to the issue of lack of trust in the kicking game. So overall, it showed all the all the aggressiveness that Memphis wants to be, except it showed the problems that they have, which is play calling and ultimately a lack of faith in the kicking game. So it was you understood the call, but again, it was maybe Memphis kind of overthinking too much instead of just saying, hey, let's go for the tie and then save the two-point play for when you need it. Yeah, I didn't really have a problem with the decision. Um, I'm more so, you know, it was a similar play call to the fourth down conversion they had had earlier in the drive where they also rolled out Seth Hennigan to the right and it worked. Um, But, yeah, I, I thought in that moment, you know, I probably would have kicked the ball, but I also just didn't have a problem with going for two either. Like, you know, like you, you got to get two yards. To, if it, it's you're, you're two yards separating you from a win, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault you for going that route, even if the odds tell you, you know, there's probably a less than fifty percent chance you convert it. You know, I. I'm a go big or go home type of guy. And so um, I'm okay with what the, the ultimately I was okay with the decision. Um, But you got to, you know, you're the head coach. You got to live with the consequences. And the reality is it feels like this season was building to a moment like that with the kicking game struggles where, you know, Ryan's had to make a lot of hard decisions this year that frankly, if he had even just a competent kicking game, he probably would be making different decisions. Um, and it feels like we were headed towards a moment of truth situation like the one he ran into against ECU. So um, I would have liked to have seen a better play call. I thought his reasoning for it was, you know, ultimately his reasoning for going for it didn't act, didn't, didn't make me feel great because you know, he was like, well, I didn't want to go. You know, I thought about the kicker missing the extra point earlier, but yeah. he wasn't thinking about the kicker, the kick that David Kemp hit to send it to overtime. And he was like, well, I didn't want to go to a second overtime because our running game hadn't done anything. Well, they had just scored with their best run of the game from Rodriguez Clark. And right. so it did to me show, frankly, that he does, doesn't really trust his team right now, you know, like, and I think that's again, speaks to a larger issue here that this game represented. Um, because let's be frank, as, as you look beyond that two point decision that ultimately decided the game, I mean, that was a game of ECU was a better team. Memphis yes. loses by two or three touchdowns. They got outplayed pretty badly for a home game. Um, and you know, they, you know, even the defense, which was kind of the, the the defense and then Seth Hennigan were kind of the bright spots. But even the defense, I mean, couldn't get off the field as much as they should have. Um, ECU dominated time of possession. I mean, they were good in the red zone, Memphis, defensively. You know, holding, I think that I think ECU got into the red zone. Four, I, ECU kicked four field goals in that game. Four field goals. that Three. 
that came at the end of long drives that could have been, you know, if two of those three field goals are touchdowns instead, this game's not really that close, you know? And so, um, but the defense did a nice job holding them out of the end zone at the very least. They made enough plays to give Memphis a chance to win, which is, you know, given the history of this defense historically, like that's all you really, that's all you should need. Um, that's all they've needed in the past, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and then offensively, you know, I thought Seth Hennigan was good again. Um, he let that game, the drive to set up the game-tying field goal was, you know, great stuff from a true freshman. Looked totally in control in a in a clutch moment. Um, and it was the only real effective offense they had. It was either him scrambling or him throwing the ball. Um, because the traditional running game was was mostly non-existent again. And um, but all of it, I think, again, the way it all ended spoke to like a larger issue of where this team is at right now at five and five, where you just don't know. I think the record speaks for what it is like. You don't know from week to week uh, what version is going to show up. And I think as we look at this big picture, Evan, what concerns me is, is we're 21 games into the Ryan Silverfield era, 10 games into this season, and a program that once had a very clear identity has an indecipherable one right now. Like, it just seems like the whole, the it's not terrible, but it also feels like they're kind of losing their way a little bit, is how I phrased it in my column. Um where you know they've lost sight of who they were, and that's fine if you're win, you know, if you were not great before and now you're winning. But it's the opposite. This was a great. This was two years ago, a program that sat on top of the mountain of a group of five programs, a program that had, you know, a run of five six years here where, you know, they were one of the elite group of five teams in the country. And they they had an i you know a brand that everyone recognized. Uh, I I don't really this team does not resemble those teams. Um, even though it's not a bad team, but it doesn't resemble those teams. It's certainly not a good team. And um, I think given the environment we are in, where conference realignment is going on, where frankly this fan base has different expectations than it did last decade at the beginning of last decade. Um, it leaves Ryan Silverfield, not on the hot seat, but just in a precarious position where, you know, I think frankly, people are, you know, people are looking at this and going, okay, you got to show me something here. Um, because I don't know what I'm watching. Um, but what, uh, I guess as you look at it, big picture, where do you, where do you program? right now um i know we kind of it gets a little dramatic in college football talking about like every win and every loss changes how you feel about the program but i that's the reality of college football um the games mean a lot each game means a lot um especially as you get towards the end of the season and you start to form a narrative about a team in a season yeah, I think right now the program is in a point of just stagnation. I think it's that's mm-hmm. the word I would use. They're kind of stagnant right now. I mean, if you look at where the team is, they're five and five. You are what your record says you are. Like you can point to highlights, we can point to Seth Hennigan. The defense is improving. 
but you're an average football team. And right now, I think you you hit the nail on the head that with realignment next year or in 2023 with more teams coming to the AAC, with Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF leading the AAC, Memphis has to position itself to be a team that's still the class of the AAC that what's left. Even right now, they need to be in that position. Right now, you look at the AAC, you could argue that ECU this year has been better. You can argue what? I wouldn't argue it. I think they proved it on Saturday. Yes. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. ECU, a team that hasn't been great since Lincoln Riley was there, hasn't been to a bowl game in seven years, they're a better team right now. I, I think you have to ask yourself, where is this program getting better? And, you know, if you look at this team right now, you see Seth Hennigan is showing that he can kind of, you know, show some I, signs of that. But I, I think he's reason. I, I think – He's reason for hope. You that you have a really good quarterback again, and that's that's why I do believe this can get turned around quickly because you I, the hardest thing to get is a really good quarterback, and it feels like Memphis got has another one. Right. That's why I think he's reason for hope. He he is a reason for hope, but here's the other problem though: how good can Memphis be if you can't run the ball or kick the ball? And again, you can assume well maybe Memphis will get it right next year or whatever, mm-hmm. but the run game for the last two years, they, I believe it's been what, 21, 22 games in the Ryan Shield close to half of the games. They haven't rushed for over a hundred yards. They wouldn't have had a hundred yards last week against ECU. If Drake Clark didn't have that touchdown run. So the running game has regressed the last two years. You know, everyone wants to talk about Memphis being running back. You with five guys in the NFL, Memphis has regressed the last two years, the kicking yeah. game, which has been a staple in Memphis has back has backslided. Um, you look at this defense and say the last two Novembers, they have gotten better, but it's still not a defense you can fully trust and say, hey, if the offense doesn't go, the defense can bail us out. Um, and that's, again, that's been a staple in Memphis. But, again, you wonder in year three, is there going to be more pressure? I mean, let's assume Memphis goes oh, 6 sure. I, I don't you think you have to wonder at this point. I think there will be a lot of pressure. Like, uh, the way I would phrase it is, you cannot have another – if you're Ryan Silverfield, frankly, you cannot have another season like this next year. You can't. Um, like I, He's coming back next year. I, like Unless something yes. dramatic happens, and I frankly, I don't even think – even if they missed a bowl, I think I, I would still guess he's back. But if they go 6-6, six and six, if they go 5-7 and seven, – like there, even if they, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's a little different. You can, if you win your last three games, you upset Houston, beat Tulane and win your bowl game. That's how you change a narrative right there. Mm-hmm. That's how you change how people feel about a season, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's kind of like, you know, you beat Tulane, lose to Houston, lose your bowl game, like, or, you know, it's just, you are, you are setting, Ryan is setting himself up for a season where there is going to be um, he is going to there is going to be an expectation that the team be improved um, or else, you know, they might have to go in another direction. Uh, That's how I look at it. Um, And I think that's fair, frankly, like, you know, ultimately, like you look around college football, this this. this philosophy that a coach needs like four years to really implement a thing. That's a, that's a thing of the past. I mean, look at like, you know, like there's, you know, it just is, that's just a reality of the business. 
And um, so I think they're they're at a point where, you know what, like this year, it was a transitional year and it's been rocky, rockier than you hoped it would be. Um, and so next year you gotta be, you gotta show some marked improvements. Um, and, and I think that's reasonable to, to expect, um, especially in a situation where, you know, Ryan inherited a program that was in great shape, you know, like, and so, and, and it's in worse shape right now than when he got it. And I think it's fair to expect him to, you know, to, to turn it around or, 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 you know, face some serious question slash pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't want to make the same mistakes. You don't want it looking the same, uh, as it is right now. Cause I think, you know, if you really want to open up, to open up the hood, I'd argue if you look back to last season, a lot of these things were going on, were, were a lot of the things that have tripped up this team were beginning to surface last year. It's just two or three dramatic Brady White comebacks helped cover it up and, you know, kind of, you know, made you, made you go, well, whatever, you know, like, like, you know what I mean? A great, a great quarterback covers a lot of things up. And, and, and Seth almost did it. I'll say this. Hennigan almost did it on Saturday. Like (laughs) that was a bad performance. And then Hennigan let him down the field and set the stage for them to kind of polish up a turd, if you will, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I mean. And, and they could, and then Ryan made the decision he made. And again, I had no problem with the decision, but when it doesn't work, it's, you know, and you lose a game at home to a team you used to be ahead of in the AAC pecking order. Uh, you know, I think, I think the fans are right to start, you know, get a little squeamish if you will. And so now it sets the stage for two very big games then in the year, even though, you know, Memphis isn't factoring into the conference title race this year. Um, I think it's, I said this last week and I said it before the SMU game. I think it's very important for Ryan to get bowl eligible this year um, to give himself a chance to finish the year above 500. Um, And, you know, Memphis is going, is an underdog, clear underdog against Houston this week. And then they get a one, it's a one win, two lane team. I don't think it's, you know, it's not, again, don't think it's totally unreasonable to say, you know what, you should go one and one in these last two. Um, And so, uh, very, very interesting close to the year. It's setting up, I think, you know, like ultimately, again, I'm not saying Memphis doesn't have a chance to beat Houston. If they play the way they did against ECU, they won't beat Houston, but this is a team that's beaten Mississippi State and SMU this year. Who's to say they can't add Houston to that list? You know, like Houston's not some juggernaut. They're good, top 25 team, but they're kind of in that same range as Mississippi State and SMU, and Memphis was able to beat them. Now, this is different because it's on the road um, at Houston, Um, but um, all all things considered, just go one and one in these last two. Get bowl eligible. That's what you need to do. Uh, given the situation the program finds itself in at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you find a way to go 500 these next two games. People might not be happy with six and six, but hey, you're bowl eligible. You got one more game to look forward to. You don't have to worry. You don't have to spend a long December worrying about, 
you know, the start of the offseason. Um, but one stat that I'm going to bring up here that's really interesting, and um, it kind of is a weird – I don't know what it means for the program, but people might remember when, when when the Mississippi State game happened. We said that Memphis, you know, the last time Memphis beat Mississippi State was in 1993. Well, that's also the last time Memphis has beaten a ranked team on the road. Now, mm. said I'm bringing it up the last two seasons, Memphis is one in six on the road against AAC teams, and that one win was that ugly 10-7 win over Navy. So Memphis has really struggled on the road since Ryan Silverfield took over. And we can, you know, there are various reasons why. Last year's game against Cincinnati, they weren't going to win. The SMU game was off their COVID hiatus. You can go back and look at all those things. But I do find it interesting that for this last road game of the season, the Tigers have to literally reverse history because they haven't played well on the road. I mean, 11 of their 17 turnovers this season have been on the road, and that includes against Arkansas State. So this team, for some reason, has not been efficient on the road. Um, and that concerns me against a Houston team that is on a nine-game winning streak. This is their senior day. They've already clinched a spot in the AAC championship game. But they're going to be motivated, I think, because, one, they want that 10-win season. And, two, Memphis has kind of dominated this rivalry the last five years. I mean, the last time Memphis came to Houston, that was a game that was over by halftime. Memphis just came out there and blew their doors off. So I think – Houston will be motivated, but Memphis has to find a way to get right on the road and play well because that's a trend that's been here under Ryan Silverlose. They have not played well on the road, and they're going to need to do that against a ranked Houston team that will be motivated even though they already have clinched a spot in the AAC title game. Well, and even though they've clinched a spot in the AAC title game, they're still – they still. I mean, if Cincinnati loses one of its last two games, Houston would host the AAC championship game. So they still have, you know, both Houston and Cincinnati are undefeated in league play. They don't play each other this year. Cincinnati, I believe, would win the tiebreaker because they'll be ranked ahead in the college football playoff rankings if they both finish with undefeated conference records. But if Cincinnati slips up, Houston could host that AAC championship game. So uh, they still have plenty to play for in that regard. And then um, you're, you're right. They, you know, they haven't beaten a uh, Memphis in a while. And um, the thing I find interesting about this Houston team, you know, it's the first good Houston team coached by Dana Holgerson, who yes. came in with lots of fanfare as the highest paid coach in the AAC. What's interesting, Holgerson has this reputation as an offensive guru. He's from the Mike Leach tree. Mm-hmm. But this Houston team, what makes them great? They're leading. They're they're the best defense in the AAC in terms of total defense. Yeah. Everyone associates Cincinnati as having the best defense. If you go by total de- like yards given up per game, Houston is the only defense in the league giving up fewer than three hundred yards. Uh, three hundred yards per game. Um, this is a good defense. Yeah. Um, and they're sec. You know, Cincinnati gives up fewer points per game. Sixteen point two. But Houston's second in scoring defense. So um, that's what I find interesting about this group. Their, de- their offense is, is fine. Um, it's actually Memphis, like Memphis is second in the league in total offense. Houston is sixth. Um, however, in terms of, and this is probably indicative of how this season's gone for Memphis, Houston is averaging seven more points per game than, than Memphis, even though Memphis. Uh, is averaging a lot more yards. Um, and so um, an interesting matchup in that regard. It's a, it's This is arguably the best defense Memphis has faced this season. 
Um, you know, Mississippi State might, you know, I think might have an argument there. Um, but it's either Mississippi State or Houston. Mississippi State's 28th in the country in total defense. Houston and is 6th in six. the country in total defense. So, um, an offense that has been, you know, inconsistent, let's put it, and kind of one-dimensional lately, uh, is going to really be put to the test here on Friday night. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be – it's a game that I'm going to be really curious to see how balanced Houston looks. Because, again, I think – I thought SMU was going to be a more balanced team, but that pass defense was awful, as we expect from them. But this Houston defense has been incredible. Like, they are they have a creative nickname for their defensive line. They call them Sack Avenue because they're also, I believe, a top 20 team in total sacks this year. Um, they don't just have one great pass oh, wow. rusher. They have, they have multiple guys who have at least four sacks and a few more who have three and a half. So it's not like one great pass rusher – they have multiple guys getting to the quarterback. So for Memphis, they did a good job protecting Seth Hennigan. He was only sacked once um, against ECU. But they're going to have to really protect him because Houston loves to get to the quarterback. They love to force turnovers. I believe Houston is 12th in that. second in turnovers. They, second in the league in turnovers forced. It's yeah. just a good defense. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Memphis is actually now moving up the ranks in terms like they've gotten a lot of sacks the last couple games. Yeah. Um, 11, defensively. 11 sacks the last two games. That's that's been impressive. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Un- unfortunately, it used to be where you you'd go, well, the way Memphis wins this game is they, you know, they out they score 50 points and they win. I, I think this might be the opposite type of game where, you know. I don't know if you can just count on Memphis scoring 30 points in this game. The defense is going to have to play well for Memphis to upset Houston on the road. Because uh, I just don't know if this Memphis offense in the shape it's in right now is capable of, you know, I don't know if you can count on it to score you 40 points. You know, I think I, I think it's I think they're more of a 25 to 35 point type of offense right now. And um can the defense keep Houston? Uh, can they do what they did? You know, can they do something similar as they did against ECU in terms of you know more field goals than touchdowns um, and and getting some pressure on the quarterback for the third straight game? That'll be a it'll be interesting to see if the defense can keep Memphis in this one. And that's strange to say, but I think that's what that's what that's something that's you know, just a reality of where we're at right now with this team. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Memphis is not, I believe Memphis has scored only Memphis has scored over 30 points once in their last six games. And that was against a bad Navy team. Um, They would have scored 30 against ECU, but that two point conversion didn't go. So they're struggling to score. You brought their yards, but like Memphis has struggled scoring the ball these last few weeks consistently to kind of put their foot on the gas and finish teams off. yeah, and we should say, I mean, go through it real quick. I mean, they're pretty banged up on on offense, especially, right? Right. I mean, who are the guys? Who are they missing right now? Who they probably want to have? It's like Austin Myers at left tackle. Correct. Training. He got hurt a while ago. Yeah. Calvin Austin has not been the same the last few weeks with he's that an ankle, ankle injury. Ankle injury. We should note the ESPN broadcast mentioned he has an ankle injury and he's been struggling. Yeah. Um, and who else? Isaac Ellis was moved from left, was not playing at left guard. I believe he's day-to-day per Ryan Sewerfield. So they're starting, they have a new left guard out there. Brandon Thomas came back after being held out against SMU. 
but we didn't see him late. Like it looked like he might have gotten re in. I, I would I would venture to guess something was up because we didn't see him later in the game at all. Um now Rodriguez Clark is a night, you know, it seems like they're kind of I don't think you're losing that. There's not much of a drop off, in my opinion, between the two. Um but yeah, so, so they're banged up. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any other receiver. I mean, um Gabe Rogers is healthy, uh, Javon Ivory's healthy, Dice is healthy. I mean, but that's but that's your problem. Like you basically Calvin Austin isn't 100 percent And we saw when he didn't play in the first half, the offense just did not have any pop outside of Eddie Lewis with his 75-yard touchdown catch. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I I I have my concerns about, you know, can Memphis score enough points against this defense? Um, but there is some bonus, there is something to be happy about. Houston while they've been on this winning streak, they have struggled at home against AAC teams. They've only they've been in one score games against them. I believe they they were close with Navy in the third going into the fourth quarter. ECU, they had to beat in overtime, and then they beat SMU yeah, on, miraculously. A return, on a kick return touchdown. So yeah. they haven't played great at home against AAC teams, which should give Memphis a little bit of hope, I think. Yeah. It is just weird to say, like you know, Memphis can't score. That and that's that's kind of where I think everyone's concern is, um, with uh, with where this program's at right now uh, as we close out year two of the Ryan Silverfield era. It doesn't look like what we're used to seeing from Memphis football over the last five, six, seven years. Um, but uh, we shall see. Maybe they got you know they've they've surprised us. Again, they've, this is a team that's beaten Mississippi State and SMU. They can beat Houston. Um, and, we're, you know, the talk is a lot different once again uh, if, you, if you beat another ranked team on the road this time this week. So we shall see the, the chase for bowl eligibility uh, hits the stretch run here. Uh, Memphis-Houston Friday night. We'll have plenty of coverage over at commercialpeel.com. Evan will be down in Houston covering the game on site. Uh, so make sure you are checking out uh, commercialpeel.com Friday night for all of the re- post-game reaction. Uh, you should also make sure we got a new newsletter over at the Commercial Appeal uh, that you can sign up for over at commercialpeel.com if you want to keep tabs on everything that's going on in Memphis sports, um, and as well as our Instagram account the Memphis Sports Instagram account. All right, that's it for this week. We'll join you next week when hopefully, you know, hopefully we're talking about an upset and and Memphis being bowl eligible for the eighth straight year. Um, or we could be talking about Memphis desperately needing a win over Tulane uh, on Thanksgiving weekend uh, to get bowl eligible. So uh, lots of... Uh, Lots of drama still left to play out in this season. And if you're interested in attending that regular season finale between Memphis and Tulane, we are giving away a pair of tickets at the Commercial Appeal via our Memphis Sports Instagram account. Make sure you're following it at mem.sports. Till next time, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Thanks so much and have a good rest of the week. Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.